to another episode of the Obey Podcast. So today I wanted to talk about kind of a, a broad topic that you can generally characterize as the Overton window. Um, Tom Woods has called it the 3 by 5 card of allowable, allowable opinion. Dave Rubin probably calls it something similar. That That's why he wrote that book, Don't Burn This Book, because he's essentially talking about the Overton window and so forth. So, so I, I, I guess the general idea of the Overton window is in public discussion of things, there is a, a certain, you know, a, a space of allowable opinion. So if you go in the public square and you say certain views, even if people disagree with you, it's morally acceptable and you won't be shamed for it. It's something that, that is somewhat normal, even if it's polarizing or disagreeable. So to, so to some extent, like, um, a, 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 a lot of partisan views that are on the, the mainstream left and the mainstream right have typically been seen as the Overton window. Um, but I guess one of the most obvious examples of the Overton w- window shifting over the last 20 years would be on, say, the legalization of marijuana or, or even gay marriage, where at one point it was commonplace to be against legalizing marijuana or against uh, legalizing gay marriage. But now we've come to the point where almost everybody is in favor of gay marriage and legalizing, you know, pot and cannabis. So you have these issues that over over a span of time, public opinion greatly swayed. And now if you say that you don't think uh, gay marriage should be legal, um, people will kind of ostracize you or it's assumed that you're a bigot because now that, that is not an acceptable opinion. So, so I give those examples just because those are issues that have changed significantly um, over over recent times. I mean, it wasn't too long ago when Barack Obama ran for president and he wasn't explicitly for gay marriage and he essentially dodged the question. So clearly public opinion has, has swayed on those issues. So the, the reason I bring this up is because I've been hearing a lot about tactics for the liberty movement going forward, um, about if they should take over the Libertarian Party, if they should be taking over the Republican Party, and how they should be using their time and their energy in terms of messaging. And I'm starting to come to the conclusion that the battleground is the Overton window. And it's not just about winning uh, elections, because most elections that the LP can actually win are very small and very local and are, are in rare places. And, and or, or, or getting liberty-oriented Republicans will only happen in very specific primary races and very specific uh, districts. And then even if that happens, it's like we're not going to see a, a libertarian win the presidency probably in my lifetime or anybody even close to that. So in the end, what, what I think it's about is I think it's about shifting that, that, that window of acceptable opinion and bringing some of the more um, far-out libertarian ideas into that 3 by 5 card. And, 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 the, and the reason being is... I, I guess I wouldn't say there's any, there, there isn't any um, virtue in having a, a unique opinion, right? So, so I, don't, I don't think that we're correct because very few people agree with us and we get to be snooty about it. I, I think we're correct for very good moral reasons. 
And because of that, we need to act, um, we, we, we need to react appropriately to people having contrasting views with us. And that, that means when people directly counter our moral worldview in ways that we deem drastically immoral, we need to call them out as such and, and treat them as such. And as we show that there's a large contingent of the population that isn't going to keep those views to themselves and is willing to use, I guess, harsh language um, about other people, then we, 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 we can inch into that card of allowable opinion and shift the, the public conversation. So I, and, and the reason why I think this is important, it isn't because you should care about what the mainstream people have to say. It's more because you, 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 you can see how the left has effectively utilized the strategy to push their policy agendas. So pr pretty much if you follow the minimum wage debate, like the $15 minimum wage is a much more uh, defensible stance for a normal person than it was 10 years ago or 15 years ago. It, it used to be a lot more niche, especially when like Bernie Sanders ran for president the first time in 2016, but it was essentially leftist orthodoxy as they ran for president in 2020. And it's even something Biden has publicly supported and he's allegedly a, a moderate of sorts. So you, you can see that that's the, t the type of, um, you know, thing that results from the shift of the Overton window. So we have to think, well, how can liberty-oriented people do something similar? And I, I, I think the, the, the real way they got it is by using moral language. It, it's not arguing with graphs and charts as much as, like, to, to truly find out what is right, you do need to actually investigate graphs and charts. And that's why it's, I, I think it's fun. <laughs> but, but a lot of people disagree. But I think it's fun to read through or listen to economic arguments and hear, hear a lot of the data that supports both arguments. But in the end, that, that's not the stuff that sticks with people, and that's not the stuff that pulls the Overton window one way. The, the, the things that move the Overton window are things like when people say, you are denying me of health care. And uh, that's what the left says. And then when enough people hear the right wants to deny me of health care or libertarians want to deny me of health care, then all of a sudden people don't think that's an allowable opinion anymore because we're trying to hurt them, allegedly. So by, by, by taking a just and a mosh type stance, and allying with the left and allying with the right when it's convenient, but not cramming our moralist language into everything. Um, instead, of, instead of constantly talking in terms of ethics and just looking to consensus build on the few issues that we align, if we constantly use, use the rhetoric of X policy infringes on freedom, that is disgusting, you're authoritarians that want to... Um, take over our lives and you have no respect for individual autonomy you you don't even think of me as a person you're you're essentially a dictator if, if you use language like that that's a lot more convincing than saying like hey on average the, the, the this monetary policy um negatively will actually impact that group of people but you have to look at a 15-year time horizon if you say that people just look at you like you're crazy and it's like you can't argue with moral languages with economic arguments that are math-based. You need to respond with the opposing moral argument, and you need to essentially show them how they're wrong. And I think, I, I think there, there are two potential outcomes. It's either we start to pull the Overton window back, or we show people that we truly are morally, ethically, and intrinsically divided. And we don't have things in common with them. We have the opposite intuitions. And there is very little reason why we should be able to dominate each other if we have absolutely opposing instincts on every issue. So, so, so once we can show that it's not just, oh, hey, we happen to agree on, you know, legalizing pot and uh, getting to do what you want in the bedroom, 
but actually we disagree on everything economics. You have to, it's not that simple. You have to say, no, 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 I'm always on the side of freedom. You're only on the side of freedom when it's coincidentally, you know, good for you. But you don't really care about freedom or you'd care about people's income. And you'd care about people actually getting to live their lives how they want. But you don't because you think 30% of their income should just get stolen from them out of pocket whether they like it or not. And you don't really care about people consenting to the economic policies or, or anything that directly impacts their quality of life. No, you, you think they should be grandfathered into a system where all of your work, all of your labor, all of that can be changed at a whim. You know, your, your, your tax bracket could go up several percent. They could increase the social security taxes. They can increase the local taxes. And all of a sudden, you're screwed out of thousands of dollars in a year. They, 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 they can repeal a tax de deduction you took for granted for years. Oh, all of a sudden, hey, look, you're out of a few thousand more dollars. These things aren't just like, oh, it's money. No, your money ends up correlating with your quality of life. Because you, you do things, you go on you go on adventures, you go on trips with your family, you buy food, you, you know, treat yourself in all these ways that are self-serving based on your human autonomous decisions. And now you can't do that because the government takes like, 30, it can take tens of thousands of dollars from you and then redirect it mostly towards waste and cronyism, but a little bit towards poor people. And then now it's morally righteous. So you have to say, that's not morally righteous. You're enabling this corrupt system that's stealing from people and wasting most of the money. So you're a bad person. And so you're either going to be pulling people back or so, so, so you're either going to be pulling the Overton window back towards us in, in, in the sense that's like you say you're arguing for healthcare, but you're not. You're arguing for a cronious system and everything that you believe is actually a lie because we know Obamacare was written by a bunch of executives for pharmaceutical companies and lobbyists, right? So... We, we know that their big policy achievements are based on cronyist garbage. So it's not that hard to get across the message that, oh, congrats, at best you're a pawn, at worst you're evil. Um, and because of that, I don't, I don't respect having a discussion with you. You can try to make your arguments. You guys can write books that are based on um, poor, poorly argued moral arguments that don't translate into practice. And in the end, the only way we can actually have any type of fair system is by letting people be free. So I, 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 I guess the appropriate reaction to a lot of the people on the left should be being completely dismissive. So when Janet Yellen says we are worried about cryptocurrency and we want to regulate it because we don't want people breaking laws, you need to say like, hey, you're making, a, you're, you're, you're making an argument that defends a corrupt system. You're a bad person. You're evil. Nobody should respect you. And if, if I could get away with it, I'd spit in your face because you're, you're a terrible person who only has terrible ends in mind. People should say that. And that, uh, that's how you, you, you win, I guess, the normal person because then they can understand the gravity of the situation. Like as much as I love Jeff Deist and people at the Mises Institute – um, they, 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 they do a specific sect of work. They do work that um, plays into people who are academically oriented. If people want to read books about arguments, you can go over to the Mises Institute, find five books on monetary policy, and you might convince the, the, the rare leftist that is deeply concerned with monetary policy. And they might be swayed by all the information that the Mises Institute puts together. And I think it's deeply valuable as a person who's just intrigued by the truth and by what the best theory is and what is most descriptive of the world around us. Unfortunately, that's not what politics is about. Politics is partially about persuasion. It's about what the government thinks they can get away with doing. 
and it's it's about what happens in the day-to-day world. So even though uh, they, they can write the Mises Institute, a book that is descriptive of the next financial crisis, and it can be word-for-word word correct, and you could give it to people, how many people are going to read that book? And the, the unfortunate answer is not a lot. So I, I think the best way to try to break through is to just be memorably dismissive. So if, if somebody's arguing, trying to attempt to argue with you on Twitter, and you say, you're an evil person, everything you believe is fake because you're playing into corrupt people who are using you, um, get, like, yeah, as, as dismissive as possible, that, that person likely will, you know, not change their mind overnight. But the thing is, we, we know our vision is descriptive of the world. We know that Obamacare was written by lobbyists. So I, I think that type of language is somewhat persuasive in the sense that if we are dismissive and it is um, very blunt and very dehumanizing in their direction, but it's also using moral language if we're trying to take back the moral high ground, I think that can set up red pill moments for them. And, and I, 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 I guess you could say I'm, I'm an optimist because I'm, I'm implying that these people are redeemable, <laughs> which is it's somewhat questionable. But if somebody is really in deep and then they are pushing back, they're saying, no, everybody has a right to this. And then you just tell them like, hey, it's not going to work. And here's reasons why it's not going to work. And you're advocating for theft when in reality, anytime you let people steal from the, um, from the citizenry for a government program, it turns out terrible. Then maybe they'll know they'll pick up on when the government truly is terrible. Well, when they have optimism because Biden's president and then Biden looks like he's going to push forward something and that ends up being cronious garbage that doesn't work that well, then maybe they'll be open to it. And then maybe they'll remember, hey, maybe I am advocating for widespread theft on a cronious policy that's actually just enriching people um, that, that, that are already elites and then providing subpar health care to the poorest people. And it's definitely not giving the bang for the buck. And in the end, it's, it's hurting people's well-being. Maybe we can set up those moments. Now, now the other thing is the, we, we, we could potentially pull back the arguments that are kind of like libertarian stereotypes. And it's just the uh, prototypical and not completely inaccurate idea of like the autistic libertarian dude. So you have like a dude who comes in, he says, I'm a libertarian. And then you say, why? And it's kind of like dehumanizing. So he, he essentially just says, like, I just want to be able to do what I want. Um, you shouldn't have, be able to control me. I, I don't like people leeching off off my stuff. And it, it ends up, and the, the other side of that coin also a little bit is people who are hyper analytical, pretty much just saying, um, trying to make the consequentialist argument on leftist grounds. So they, they, they try to seed all the leftist um, principles and they try to argue from there but you're not going to persuade a lot of people from that point because nobody's going to read the book you hand them and tell them to read because that takes eight hours and people aren't usually that dedicated to their opposition so that that's kind of like that prototypical autistic libertarian now if, if instead of arguing in this way that seems impersonal you argue with you're evil. <laughs> the, 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 the demonic overlords that um, have never done anything good, all they do is um, pretend to be dovish and then starve people in Yemen, and they're responsible for the millions of deaths or, or, or the uh, millions of people in poverty all across the world. Um, all, all they care about is making sure the dollar stays strong um, <laughs> and people keep operating with dollars as the basis of their oil contracts and they don't care about people's lives. They're really just doing this to um, keep themselves wealthy, keep systems they're, they're invested in wealthy, and to keep their jobs. If you start telling them that and then you tell them that no matter what they argue, everything that there ends up happening is unjust, 
and that they are clearly dehumanizing the individuals they steal from that don't want anything to do with them. The more you hit home that like basic argument without like just being you know simple about it without just saying no I prefer to be free you have to say like you are you are the antithesis of this you are a downright evil person because you don't want people to be free and guess what you're just co-opted by people who are even worse than you and not only do they want me to not be free but then they want to use that money to kill people who are innocent it's getting that message across that's going to um it's going to make their opinions less uh, acceptable because saying healthcare is a right and everybody should have a right to healthcare is an acceptable opinion on the in the Overton window, but if you can expand that sentence to, um, so 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 if you expand that system to something like healthcare is a thing that everybody should have access to, but in reality our government will do it in the most inefficient way, and it will be funded by stealing from people who want to just find ways to get healthcare or health insurance in their own private life to the extent they want it then it's less acceptable because now you've qualified it by like very real things. It's like, oh yeah, because government's going to mess it up because they mess up everything. And they messed up Obamacare because they let corporations write it. And then they, um, and then all the people who don't actually want an insurance plan that says, say requires um, a, a lot of things. Like say you just wanted a high risk insurance because you're maybe you could hypothetically be somebody in their twenties and you really only need insurance for if you get in a car accident. Well, there are plans out there for you, but the government might just make those illegal. And then guess what? You're hurting people's quality of life because you're forcing them to get something they don't want. Um, so it, it's it's really about not ceding that moral high ground. And and it's it's the moralist language. And, and it's truly trying your best to expose these people as disgusting and exposing them as being pawns. So if you can get those ideas across, I think that's stronger than any anything that's in any of the little things that it's that the compromising libertarians get because if you can sway that opinion and even just like right right now the amount of libertarians is a very low number but there are people who have um intuitions that are very anti-government and they're ready to be woken up if they're given the proper sentiments so it's not it's not about convincing 50 percent of the people because i don't think we're going to do that i don't think we're going to win national elections anytime soon but it, when, when you're talking about a group of people who is against the government, is skeptical of government, and willing to resist and subvert the government if they're given the slightest opportunity, then if you can increase that amount from like 3% of Americans to 30% of Americans, then that's a really big deal. Because even though 30% is not going to win you an election in our, in our country, 30% of people who willingly comply to the minimum with government and often try to find ways to subvert it when government complies compliance isn't enforced well enough that that's going to be a good thing because it's going to make their policies that are already bad even worse because they're going to have to make sure they're forcing people to comply with it and it's going to really expose how many people they're forcing their agenda on i mean it should seem obvious enough that the democrats are forcing their agendas on republicans that don't agree with their agenda and that happens all the time and it's pretty much 52 forcing something on 48 and no, nobody cares then but if you have 30 percent of people who are outright saying like these overlords are disgusting evil people, and they deserve to be pushed up against a wall or maybe hung for war crimes. When you have that much of the population saying something that's radical, then it's it's truly powerful, I guess. And I think that that's a lot more compelling than we have agreement on a slight marginal tax increase. Now, you need to have a smaller proportion of people agree that taxation is deeply immoral, is the root of all evil, and if you support taxation, you're a disgusting person that's either a pawn or evil. 
And I think that's completely true because I think most of the people I know who but don't, don't realize the evil of taxations are generally either a pawn or evil um, because they understand the implications of how tax money is used to fund wars and how taxation is just um, outright theft without people's consent. It's like, sure, I know a lot of people would consent to taxation because they're brainwashed enough to. But, mo- but a lot of people wouldn't. If, if they could get out paying their taxes, they would. If they were convinced they could get out paying their taxes, they would. So it's clearly not consensual. Um, yeah, so, 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 so I just want to get that out there. And, and, and I guess I was partially kind of inspired to go on that rant because I, I've just heard, um, even in the Mises Caucus, which is the most, as far as I can tell, most radical branch of the Libertarian Party, that the Mises Caucus is willing to talk about radical ideas because because relative to our current government, uh, anarcho-capitalism is very inherently radical. So you don't need to dress it up for it to seem radical. Saying, I don't think the government should really be doing anything. I think taxation is wrong. All of that is outside of the Overton window already. But I don't think it is aesthetically radical enough. And I think the aesthetics of radicalism is actually what can pull people in because once you start bringing that radical aesthetic, you're going to convince people because they're going to be so shocked. And even if you're not immediately um, convincing them, you're going to seed the thoughts that actually maybe I am a pawn, actually maybe um, I am being used, actually taxation has funded everything evil that I hate. And and if you can get those ideas in there, um, then that's great. But you can't get that um, just by... Uh, if, if the LP Twitter posts things on Twitter that is something along the lines of like, freedom is the only human right, um, anything against freedom is bad, everybody should have the right to be... Um, you know, uh, everybody should have be a right to be free from coercion and make their own decisions as long as they're not hurting someone else. You can argue that's a radical message because everything the government does is is the antithesis of this. But if you go on Janet Yellen's, if Janet Yellen tweets something about how much she, um, how proud she is of being the first woman's uh, secretary of the treasury and how she wants to um, help the economy recover by using the, the levers of the printing press, and then you tell her to like, you know, if, if, if you respond with that, Go fuck yourself. You're a demon. Um, everything you're doing is undermining the uh, integrity of the U.S. dollar, and everything you're doing is going to lead to the next financial bubble, and that's going to make people lose their jobs and kill themselves. So you're a bad person, or or you're stupid if you're not aware of this. Because if if you study monetary policy, you should actually be aware of this. Um, so if if you say something that blunt, I think that's a lot more powerful than just like generic virtue signal messaging. And it's not because it's going to win people over in the moment, but people who are susceptible to our ideas are going to hear that and be like, that guy is the one who is saying what I'm thinking. That and 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 people will be like, whoa, is that true? And then they'll think about it. Because if you hear something that's powerful enough, you're either going to want to disagree with it or you're going to come around to it. And if somebody hears all that and they're like, okay, well, where, where did I think that person goes wrong? Then they're going to have to at least think about the issues. But if, if, if you just say things vaguely about freedom and then you're like, freedom is very radical, then then you're not getting their attention in the same way. And this is why um, I do have some hope for the LP, though. And, and Angela, I think her name's Angela McCardle. I'm sorry, I'm doing this off the top of my head. But she had done a protest against lockdowns, and she had advertised it in a way that um, made it seem controversial about the use of masks. And it, it, I think it was advertised in a way that, that mentioned that you should wear masks in order to subvert identification. So you won't get in trouble for you know breaking the lockdown orders if you wear a mask because they won't be able to know who you are. Um, and this ended up getting her press coverage and giving her time to talk on TV. 
So I think that's like a big win. I, I think that's the way they, they, they should be taking it. It should be kind of controversial and it should be like an angle that is um, pretty much mocking them by, by using their own, their, their, their own language. But I also think it needs to take that step, step further of being like, Hey, it's not just that you guys are wrong. It's that you guys are wrong and you're actively evil and you're hurting everybody. You're either stupid, evil or being manipulated. Um, because that, that, that is the case. And I'm pretty sure that is if you're in the Liberty movement and you've read up on a lot of the issues, that that's probably the conclusion you've come to because there aren't a lot of good faith. Um, well, 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 there are a lot of good faith interpretations of economics, but they, but they're misguided. So those people are pawns. The, the, the people who are on Bloomberg news and are anchors and they have education on, on these issues. They, they, they've gone to a generic business school and they've gotten a CFA they know what CFAs are taught. So they, they think they're educated because they're educated in the propaganda. They aren't educated about things like Austrian business cycle. And if you ask one of them to explain and steel man Austrian business cycle so they could argue against the steel man version of it, they wouldn't be able to lay out to you in good faith like an argument of what Austrian business cycle is. And it's because they just don't know. It's not something that's taught in those schools. So that that, that person is a pawn to like the neoliberal financial order. Um, so... Yeah. So, 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 so this is essentially a call for radical language. Um, okay. I, I think there were a couple points I want to get to, but I've, I've just been going off and I've probably gotten a little repetitive at this point. So I'll try to cram them in a little bit at the end here. Um, so Politico had this whole scandal with Ben Shapiro where Ben Shapiro wrote for the Politico playbook. Politico playbook is like a newsletter that you can sign up to. It's mostly insider jargon. I'm a person who, um, I, I made this podcast on the foundation that I listen to a lot of news from all angles, so I might as well try to see through some narratives and at least put, 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 put some signal out into the void, so I hope that somebody stumbles upon it. Um, so I, I, I've actually like read the Politico playbook before, subscribed to it, and a lot of it's like really insider news. There's really no reason to, to follow it. It's like, I, I don't even recognize most of the names it's talking about. I'll say like X, Y, and Z, um, re- all these representatives are at Capitol Hill for this hearing, and the hearing probably won't matter. So, so stuff like that. But they're getting some new author for it. So in the interim, before that new author takes over, they're having guests write it. So they had like Chris Hayes write for it. And they had people that are like leftist media figures write it. And then they had Ben Shapiro write it. But since Ben Shapiro is a um, a, a conservative that has some libertarian instincts, he, he's not in the Overton window anymore, apparently. Because po- a bunch of reporters of Politico got upset, called a meeting with management. Management kind of rebut. Re, re, they, management essentially shrugged them off, but it was still a, a thing that made the news for the day. And then the next week, 100 Politico reporters all signed a letter, sent it to executives above Politico's management, and essentially said management acted in a way that we do not endorse, and this is bad. Um, and all of this is signaling Ben Shapiro isn't acceptable. Ben Shapiro is not allowed in the in the reasonable room. He he's too radical. And if you're a libertarian hearing that, I understand that Ben Shapiro's pro a bunch of wars that we think are heinous. And if Ben Shapiro is president, he'd continue the war crimes of several administrations past. But Ben Shapiro is a pro-war neocon that has a lot of libertarian opinions. And the left hates him because of a lot of his libertarian opinions. A lot of the reason he's ostracized is because of those libertarian views. And by libertarian, I mean, I know he's not citing Mises, but he's saying things that are generally pro-capitalism in like a very boomer con way. And if those people are ostracized, where, where do you think we're going to end up? So it's one of those things where it, it's clearly them utilizing the, the, this, this um, the, the, they're, using, they're utilizing the optics of what is allowable in a way that is deeply effective. And we need to push back on that by being intensely, proudly, and like probably vulgar 
about how strong we feel about things that they don't think are currently acceptable. And if there, if there are enough people who are calling them um, demonic and evil for using the reins of power to coerce others for heinous agendas, if we can get enough people saying that, then that's in the acceptable discourse. So I, I, at least I'm hopeful that it could get back into acceptable discourse. And I think that's more important than really, really anything the liberty movement can hope for right now, as, as considering we're not going to have a lot of mainstream um, candidates win anything in the next few years. I mean, we, we just don't have the infrastructure set up and the public support for that. And America just generally doesn't work for two, for, for a third party very well. So it's not that I'm like specifically... Um, anti the LP, but I just don't think that's the most effective way. I'm not saying you shouldn't use your time on it. I'm just saying I don't see that as the optimal um, thing to, to, to hope in. So then, then okay, so I talked about Ben Shapiro a little bit. I was going to try to cram all this in real quickly, but maybe, maybe it won't be so quick. The, the other things I want to talk about was the whole social media issues around a bunch of people getting banned from Twitter after Trump got banned from Twitter, and then Parler gets pulled down by the people who run their um, web, web hosting. So, yeah, Trump gets banned from Twitter. I'm sure you're aware of this. Um, that's followed by a slew of people who, it's mostly people who endorse the, the riots and the insurrections, which I proudly endorse. And if anybody wants to deplatform me, feel free. I, I don't think they will. Um, but, I, I mean, I strongly endorse that because it's violence against government. And violence against government should generally be endorsed. Um, <laughs> that, 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 that's the least nuanced take, but, that, that, you know, you can go listen to my episode a few back in the feed if you're, if you're interested in my full take. Um, but, but that's the main reason why people have been deplatformed for, um, being for in favor of political violence, which as a person who, um, is in favor of political violence, I, I, I find that annoying that that's been shifted out of the Overton window. So, so we see that happen with Twitter. And, and I mean, my, my, my reaction to this is if it was a fair company, they would then ban every leftist because every leftist is pro-government action and all government action is violence. But, but that's obviously not how it's going to work. And I, that, that's fine. Um, <laughs> So, okay, so, 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 so then a bunch of people jump over to Parler, but then Parler's web hosting um, or their servers cancel them because they're like, we, we aren't going to, um, it was Amazon, Amazon web hosting. They, they essentially said, you have these direct calls for violence and you didn't censor them, so we don't trust you guys as a website, so we're not going to give you web hosting. And all of this has happened in like the past few weeks. So, so, so to some extent, I, I'm truly like uh, appalled at the direction this is heading because even though there's like the very tangible issue of people who are anti-government, especially anti the current administration, even though they're not libertarians, but it's people who are pushing back against the current the current regime in charge. Those people are getting you know banned from private platforms, and a lot of this is because it was either the private platform has a left-wing agenda or it's because the private platform knows that they're going to get regulated if they do nothing. So then they feel obligated to do something now because it, their company will become insolvent if they don't do anything. They'll either be subject to some bogus lawsuit, but it doesn't matter if it's a bogus lawsuit if the leftists are in power because um, you'll lose to a partisan judge on a partisan issue. If, um, if push comes to shove, that can happen. Or, or, or they just get regulated to hell like a bunch of stuff has in the EU where they've 
um, enforced a lot of regulations on tech companies that have been hard for them to enforce, and they've suffered huge fines for it. So companies don't want that, and it's it's not hard to imagine a Democratic House representative and Joe, or anybody in the Joe Biden administration to bring Mark Zuckerberg back on Capitol Hill and then grill them about Facebook and the insurrection. So it makes sense for Facebook to purge all these accounts. Um, but that's not good for libertarians in the Overton window, and it's not good for dissenting voices um, in the Overton window. Now, if if it was so commonplace for people to be messaging in the ways that we are messaging, then we wouldn't have to worry about this. So that's why we need to we we we, we, we need to be parasitic in the same way that statists are parasitic, in, in, in the sense that we need to infect other people with our ideology. Now, thankfully, our ideology is something that is nonviolent. It is something that is um, in, in defense of people. It's a promotion of self-defense and human autonomy. And essentially, it's the personification. Well, well, it's the ideology of human rights, because we, on the very basic individual level, um, we, we, we inherently respect you as an individual. And that, that's why you are the king of your own domain. You're the king of your property. You're the king of peaceful interactions. And if somebody um, tries to infringe on that, then you have ultimate recourse. But right now you don't have that. The government makes the rules. You're not even a king in your own house because the government can make all kinds of rules about how your house has to be built. That's just like one example. But, you know, there, there are so many rules. You can't even be the king of your own house. Um, so I, I'm, I'm probably getting very redundant at this. I, I apologize. I'm recording really late, but I just had to get some thoughts out there. Um, I, I do have some other thoughts that are tangentially related to social media and how, how responsible they are because of the government like hearings where they pretty much threaten social media companies and how this is kind of comparable to, I, I would say it's kind of com- comparable to how I wear a mask at the grocery store because the grocery store has a mask requirement, but my grocery sto- store has a mask requirement partially because the government forced them to have a mask requirement. So it's not really the go- it's not really the grocery store um, having the rule. It's they have it because the government puts a gun to their head and makes them. And even if they would without the gun, I know that that gun's in the background. So how much responsibility does the private company have if you know the government would force them to do something either way? I think that's an interesting question. Maybe maybe, maybe that's worth pursuing another time. Um, but it's not as it's not as relevant to the messaging question. Um, so yeah, I hope that was uh, at the least. I hope that was entertaining because I I did call uh, people who are status demonic, and I think that is very accurate. And even if I was in a more um, even if it was a reasonable time in the day, and you push me on that, I, I would probably defend that claim. Um, but I, I do think that's the that's the tact we have to take because how often do you hear the Cato Institute you know f- forcing an issue into the public domain? Maybe the answer is the answer is really never. But if you have a viral clip of like a person like Ben Shapiro. If you have a popular figure going viral saying something that is um, controversial, but if a bunch of people come to defend it, so if Tom Woods blew up for some reason, like, like, like if Tom Woods went viral because he said something about how evil all the um, government officials are, now they just use you and manipulate you and steal from you, and they have no redeeming qualities, they, then that's the kind of thing that would spur a discussion on Twitter where you have like a ton of people uh, hating on Tom Woods because you know he would they, they they would be like this guy doesn't even think healthcare is right blah 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 um, he doesn't even know co- companies exploit him but then if there were enough people on our side who came out of the woodwork and said look how this is exposing the evil people who want to dominate you right if you had enough people th- then it shows there is a push and pull there and that there is a polarization there and um, we we exist 
And I think that's the, the, the first step. It's kind of like how it's important to focus on the culture because if they don't even think you exist, they're going to trample all over you and they're going to dismiss you because what, what, what are there? There's like five man caps. No, there, there's a lot more than that. And we can polarize more people into our camp as long as we use polarizing language. Republicans are ready to be polarized. They hate the government. If you push them on it, especially with Biden up, a not friendly person in charge, you can pull them into, you can pull them into your camp. I've, I've had great um, efficacy pulling a lot of Republicans in my life over into a more ANCAP philosophy. And you can get them to cede a lot of points because a lot of Republican points aren't principled. So if you can get them to come to their logical conclusion, they'll come to our side. But you have to, you have to push them on it. You can't just meet them where they're at. You have to say, you, you, ha you have to, you have to say like, hey, all this stuff is unjust. It's deeply unjust, right? Oh, oh, you think something's justified by the government? Can you explain it to me? Because I'm under the impression that all of this is violence and all of this ends up getting co-opted co by the most corrupt swamp creatures you can imagine. So, yeah, this, this was a very cathartic uh, episode for me. <laughs> I, I, I feel really good about it. I, I, did, I even forgot to mention how, um, how the whole Robin Hood GameStop saga is a pretty good example of what's going on, too. Because you have the wall, it's it's a good example of like, look, here's the Wall Street elites um, using Robinhood for uh, essentially. It was all alleged that some executives at Robinhood had contact from people in government that they needed to kind of put a lid on the trading, and that that's what they ended up doing. But they've claimed for different reasons. We we don't need a conspiracy theory to know that it's in Robinhood's interest to not look like they need to be regulated, just like those social media companies. Um, but, but if we put it, it, okay, you know what? Well, let's not go down that rabbit hole because that has so many strings to it because then you have the whole part where a bunch of people who are buying and running up GameStop are doing it because they're essentially socialists and they think capitalism's evil and they think it's proving capitalism, capitalism's evil, which really isn't proving that by any means. Um, so that's actually a really nuanced can of worms. But, but that, that's, that's what I like to do. I like to bring up tangents on the spot and try to unpack them. And this definitely is not the time to do it for that whole situation. Um, okay. I, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this. This is by far the longest episode. Um, yeah, God. So, so, so much has been going on lately. So, so much economics. And as the Biden administration attempts to pass things that is actual legislation, I'm sure we'll have a lot more uh, econ talk uh, that, that will coincide with our intensely harsh, polarizing criticism of them. But, you know, as always, you can check out the backlog of this show. You can check out the other podcasts I do um, beyond Talking Points where I try to, um, ironically, after this episode, I ironically try to have a civil conversation with somebody who is um, in practice uh, a leftist. Um, and we, we, we argue about first principles, and I do use language equally as charged as this episode. Um since and and it's and it ends up being an interesting show more often than not. So I'd implore you to check that out as well. Um, if if I scared you off, you know, in three months it'll hit you. You'll you'll have your red pill moment. You'll you'll, you'll realize that's right and you'll come back. Um, God. Okay. Um. So signing off, and I'll 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 have another episode up uh tomorrow on Tuesday. But signing off, it's Matt. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode. Please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcatcher or share the podcast with a friend. You can find out more information about the Obey podcast at anchor.fm slash Obey podcast or on Twitter at the Obey podcast. 
Until next time. Next time.